And with that, let's open our Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to get right to work. You ever wonder what would happen if, uh, if the, no, the pastor didn't have any time restraints and he could just go as long as he wants? You ever wonder when I would come up for air? Uh, First service found that out today. We had some, some clock issues, and uh, I just went for it, you know? So I'm going to be careful and try and be a little quicker with you guys here. We're in Daniel chapter 2, and, um, and we're looking at this young man named Daniel uh, who was called by God to live for him and to speak for him in the most sin-filled, idolatrous empire that probably has ever existed in the history of the world. And, and here you have this young man, the, the nation of Judah was taken captive. God had prophesied that it was going to happen. And as that nation was taken uh, captive, uh, you know, conquered, in, additionally, in, in addition to being conquered, the, the, the prophecy also foretold that there was going to be many of the prominent young men of that kingdom that were going to be taken captive. Uh, and indeed, this happened. And, and Daniel was one of those young men. Uh, and as he was taken captive, uh, the, the concerted effort of the king was to, to brainwash and to change these young godly men. Uh, and, and so uh, here Daniel was a guy who was challenged to live in a, in a pagan, idolatry, uh, idolatrous uh, nation, a wicked generation. He was challenged to live as a faithful follower of the Lord uh, in that environment. The name Daniel means God is my judge, and that's exactly how Daniel lived his life, with a certain understanding and knowledge. Hey, God is my judge. I will give an account for my life one day. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. A very sober thing to think about, that we will stand before God someday. We will give an account for our life. And the thing is, is that, you know, the Bible says... What is your life? It's a vapor. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. And, 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 and on this world, I mean, physically, this is all we know. Experientially, this is, this is all we have known. And yet, what we do know through God's word is that there is a, a, a hereafter. And we will, we will live for eternity. We are eternal beings. The question is, where will you live eternally? You will either live eternally in heaven as God's child, glorifying him, or you will spend eternity separated from God, and the Bible calls that hell. And that's, that's a sobering thing to think about. Daniel lived his life understanding, God is my judge. I will give an account. And there is a life to come. And so he lived his life accordingly. Now, there are many lessons in this book for people who live in circumstances like Daniel lived. And the truth of the matter is, is that all of God's children do, in fact, live in similar circumstances to Daniel in the sense that we're far from home. This world is not our home. Temecula is not my home. My home is in heaven. You, if you are a follower of the Lord, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, your home is in heaven. And, and the, Paul said to, to the Philippians in this regard, he said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Scripture says that we are to wait and watch for the Lord. First Peter 4, 7, Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Jesus, speaking in Luke's gospel, said, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, with this in mind, that this world is not our home and that we need to live watchful and expectant lives, listen to what Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another translation puts that, don't let the world press you into its mold. 
So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we, like Daniel, are charged uh, to live our lives the way Daniel lived his life. God is my judge. I will give an account to the Lord. I do need to live like Daniel and not conform to this world, but I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So with this in mind, we've been taking the many lessons going through the book of Daniel. And, and there are incredible, there's an ocean of, of directly transferable lessons from the book of Daniel to our lives, especially in these early chapters uh, of the book of Daniel. And, and, and just in case you weren't here, and just to, by way of review and, and to, to lead into today's message... The big idea as we went through chapter one was how to honor God in the midst of a a wicked and and an evil culture. See, just as Daniel was, uh, you know, taken captive and brought into this area and this this king, Nebuchadnezzar, taking Daniel, this godly young man, scripture says he's a godly young man, he wants to honor the Lord, and King Nebuchadnezzar has a plan for Daniel and he wants to feed him of his delicacies and he wants to teach him his language and his culture and he wants to, he changes his name and his whole objective and, and, and plan for Daniel is I want to change you from who you are, a child of God, a follower of God, I want to change you to be a a, a child of Babylon. I want to change you to be a child of, of me and my culture. I want to make you like me. And we looked at this as we went through Daniel chapter 1, that very much this issue that's going on in Daniel's day and age, it's not, it's not unique to that day and age in the sense that the world has a plan and an objective to get to shape us and to change us and to change our identity and to change our name and to change our focus and to get us to, to embrace and, and, and just accept its culture. And, and so there is this full court press that, that we should be changed. And what we see, and really the big idea of chapter 1 of, of, of the book of Daniel, is that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile, defile himself against the Lord. Again, the big idea is how to honor God in the midst of a wicked and an evil culture. And as we went through this, you'll recall we looked at just some things that are happening, practically speaking, in our day and age, here and now, how the, the, there's a, a, an agenda for the hearts and minds of our children. And we looked at the legislation that's being passed and all and the things that are being imposed uh, in, in our education system. And then there is a concerted effort to change and to get to our hearts and minds of our children uh, and to teach them an agenda that is ungodly, that really is anti-God. And and and. You know, we go through that, and the natural reaction is, well, we need to, we need to fight against that. And I'm all for that. I think that the, the world needs more Christians in, in every place of influence. We need more Christian school teachers. We need more Christian, you know, entertainers in, in the arts and all. We need more Christian politicians, although that's an oxymoron. We need more Christians in every place in culture. I wholeheartedly agree that we don't need to isolate, but that we need to infiltrate. But that's not the idea of Daniel chapter. Chapter one, the, the, the big idea of Daniel chapter one is what we need to be is we need to be a people and we need to train up our children to be able to live, live in the midst of a perverse generation and shine as lights and follow the Lord and, and, and honor God in, in how we live out our lives and not compromise. That's the big idea. And when chapter one talks about that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself, we saw that literally what that is is set and direct. He, he set and directed his life in such a way that, that he was determined that this isn't going to happen. If you will, he rehearsed and repeated. He said, this is my script. This is this. Here is my script. I need to know this word. I need to, I need to study God's word. I need to be, live obediently to God's word. I need to set and direct my life in accordance with this. And so that's the big idea of chapter one. Now, when we get into chapter two, the lesson of chapter two really is a lesson of contrasting lifestyles. What we see is that there are various lifestyles being lived out here in chapter two, and we can, we can learn a lot from the way that Daniel and his companions lived their lives, as well we can learn a lot by the way Nebuchadnezzar lived his life. 
You can, you can have a godly example, you can have an ungodly example, and you can still learn a lot from both. I used to take my kids, you know, out, you know, the grocery store or whatever, and we would try to instruct our kids in righteousness, and we would use every object lesson we could to reinforce the lessons that we were trying to teach them. And negative lessons work just as good as positive lessons. I remember one incident uh, where we were in the grocery store, and this lady was dealing with, with her, her daughter, her young daughter, and, um, and the, the daughter was throwing a temper tantrum, and then the mom just like lost it, just completely melted down in the middle of the store. Mom threw a temper tantrum just like the kid did. You're like, well, I wonder where she gets it from, you know? And here this lady just losing her mind, and she's screaming at her kid, like just, and you, she, it moved really quickly. For, you ever been sorry for somebody out in public? You're like, you are making a fool out of yourself, you know? And you're in this place, and you're like, you're making a fool out of yourself. And it moved quickly from there to where, like, I'm going to intervene. I'm like, lady, you're, you need to stop it right now. You're out of line kind of deal. But, a, but an ocean of, of instructional information to be able to say, tell my kids, okay, let's talk about self-control. And there's, you know, object lesson number one, do you want to be this lady, you know? <laughs> no. And so, you know, negative lessons can work very well. Um, and... Uh, you know, the book of Deuteronomy talks about how we're supposed to instruct our kids. And, and the, you know, the way we most effectively instruct our kids is while we're on the way with them. You know, I get those parents who are like, how do I best instruct my kids in biblical principles? Well, let me just tell you, if you're going to say, okay, sit down, now we're going to study the Bible, your kid will not get a lot out of it. If you just use, hey, let's go out in life and we use these opportunities for me to instruct, that way they will get so much more uh, uh, biblical information that will stick uh, and that they'll appreciate. And so, uh, so we have that. We have in chapter 2 the, the lesson of contrasting lifestyles. And, and so what we see, first of all, and we looked at this last week, was we looked at who do these guys, Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, who do they rely on for help and advice? And what we saw is that Nebuchadnezzar, he relied on fools for help and for advice. And in the, the day of crisis, he found himself in trouble. The, the, the writer of Proverbs says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And so we, we took that instruction from last week. We also, last week, looked at not only, uh, you know, who do they rely on for their help uh, and advice, but we also looked at how do they react in time of trouble. That was another key point of our lesson last week, that we see King Nebuchadnezzar reacts one way to a time of trouble. Daniel reacts entirely different to his time of trouble. Nebuchadnezzar gets faced with the issue of his own mortality, which is, is basically why he reacted the way that he did. And we'll get into the story here uh, as we go. But uh, basically, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It freaked him out, and, and he, couldn't, he didn't know what the interpretation was of the dream. He called all of his advisors, the magicians, the astrologers, fools, for his counsel on, hey, what, what, what's going on? What was the dream? What was it all about? They couldn't tell him. He's like, you know, I, I had a dream. It was bad. I want you to tell me what it's all about. They're like, all right, yeah, tell us, tell us the dream. He's like, uh-uh, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You know, basically, and the text doesn't say this, but, he, but the, the implication is, look, if I tell you the dream, you're just going to lie to me. So how about this? How about you tell me what I dreamed? Uh, and then you tell me what it means, you know, kind of thing. And then I'll know if you tell me what the dream is and I never told you, then I'll know you're telling me the truth and the counsel that you give me. Kind of get the impression he'd been lied to from these guys before. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, they couldn't tell him and he reacted like, okay, you're all dead. He starts killing them. Now, Daniel, he, you know, he's in this situation. He's like, what on earth? He, and, the, 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 and the Bible says that Daniel reacted with counsel and wisdom. Here, Nebuchadnezzar reacted freaking out. Daniel reacted with counsel and wisdom. Two completely uh, different scenarios. Well, when he reacted with counsel and wisdom, he goes to the, to the king's advisor, Ariok. He's like, well, what's going on? Ariok's like, dude, he's blowing a gasket. He had this dream, and it's freaking him out. And, and, and so Daniel, he... he responds there with counsel and wisdom. He goes to the king and says, hey, give me some time. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out what's going on here. And what we looked at last week in this, this idea of how they reacted different 
What we, what we saw, and we'll look at it again today, was that when God answered da- Daniel's prayer, gave him the interpretation of the dream, told him what the dream was, well, he also gave Daniel information he never prayed for, but he told him, hey, look, here's what the king was thinking about when he went to bed. This is, you know, not, I won't just tell you what he dreamed and, and what the interpretation was. I'll tell you what he was thinking about when he went to sleep because that's really at the heart of the whole thing. And what he was thinking about when he went to bed was, what's going to come after me? What, what is going to transpire after my life? In other words, hey, your, your life has an expiration date. And King, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the most powerful man that, that was on the face of the earth, the richest man on the face of the earth, came face to face with a certain knowledge of, you will die. And you ain't got no control over that. And he lost it, completely lost it. And he started killing people because nobody could tell him, hey, what, what's going on here? And so how we react in time of trouble. Daniel, he's facing, he's got death sentence over him as well, but he reacts completely differently. He reacted in counsel and wisdom. Why? Because he's the child of the Lord. He's come face to face with his own mortality. He's now facing down the death sentence. He's like, you know what? I trust in the Lord. Completely different plates of, you know, the, the reactions of these two. They react in time of trouble. Well, today we're going to move in. We're going to focus on how Daniel responds to God-sized problems. You could write that down. That's our first point. How does Daniel respond to a God-sized problem? Actually, that's the overreaching question of the message today. We'll have subpoints from that. And, um, and that's the issue. There's a God-sized problem. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you here have a God-sized problem or have faced a God-sized problem in your life? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, God-sized problem. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, my dress doesn't fit anymore. Oh, no, I got a problem. I'm, not ta- I'm talking about a God-sized problem, okay? If you're a dude and you've got that problem, we've got issues, okay? You don't get a man popsicle, okay? You don't get, you don't get one of those tri-tips. We'll talk afterwards. We've got issues to talk through, but... But um, God-sized problems. I remember years ago, we were planning, uh, what was at the time, Calvary Chapel Menifee. It was in the early days. We were in a Bible study in my house at this time. We hadn't even outgrown my house yet. And uh, one of my neighbors were, were ministering to him, trying to witness to him. They, they really, they haven't started, they haven't surrendered really their life to the Lord or anything, but we've got some influence with them. And he had to go in for surgery, and uh, it was just a, it was a thing, he'd, he was a fireman, he'd injured his hip on the, on the job, and it was kind of one of those chronic injuries, he sort of worked through it, worked through the pain, and finally got to the place where, you know, years down the road, he's like, I, I finally got to do something about this. So, you know, he scheduled an elective surgery, and they said, hey, can you watch our kids for us? Yeah, sure. So we're keeping their kids for a few days, you know, just through the surgery and his wife going there and all that stuff. Well, in the course of the surgery, things went bad, and I, and I just you know, give you the short version, but basically, he ended up throwing a blood clot, and he wound up on life support, and he was brain dead. They did an EEG, it came out flat. If you're in the medical field, you know that bad. There ain't no coming back from that. That's a God-sized problem. We, we went to praying and just, just pressing in and, and, and all, and, and there's no other way to explain it, but God healed him completely. He, he, he's alive and, and mentally, perfectly, physically intact today. God healed a man who was brain dead. Now, this is doctors then doing the backstroke, like, well, maybe we did the EEG wrong. Or what? No, it was a miracle. It was, it was a verifiable brain dead. There ain't no coming back from that. That's a God-sized problem. This week, we had a, a gal, a member of our church. She uh, went into labor prematurely. She delivered a 24-year-old week or 24-week uh, baby. Now, the baby is, is alive. We ask you to pray for this baby because, you know, they're, they're, basically it's about two weeks past the window of they don't survive. So it's just, just two weeks close to that borderline. 24, that's 16 weeks early. That's a God-sized problem. We ask you guys to pray and to, to press in for this mom and for this child. Um, but, but here, Daniel responds to God-sized problems, and there's a lot of lessons for us to learn from that. Um, the first thing I, I want you to note there is that Daniel prayed to God. This is the first thing Daniel did to respond to a God-sized problem. We'll pick it up in verse 16. So Daniel went in 
Ariok comes to him. He's like, hey, you know, the king wants you dead. He's freaking out. Daniel says, why? He tells him. Daniel went in and he asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. And then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So that first point is that Daniel prayed to God. Now, that seems like a very simplistic point, doesn't it? That Daniel prayed, you respond to a God-sized trial by praying, you're like, duh, I, I, tell me something new. All right, do you pray? when you're facing God-sized problem? Or are you like me frequently where I'm stressing out about something and my wife will inevitably say to me, well, did you pray about it? I'm like, no. Don't we do that? Let's be honest. How many times do you lose sleep over something, you stress about something, and you've never prayed about it at all? And so, we, I mean, this is, tattoo it, man. The first thing that Daniel does in response to this God-sized problem is that he prays to God. In, in Acts chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, I'll just shorthand real quick, but in Acts chapter 13, you see Paul and Barnabas, they're out on the first missionary journey. And, and they've been sent out by, by their church in Antioch, and they're out and they're going, and they come to another town called Antioch. It's, it's similarly named, different place. And so they're in this town of Antioch, and Paul is preaching to the Jews there in the temple. And as he's preaching to the Jews, he's talking to them about trusting Jesus Christ. And he's, he's giving to them the gospel. And he's talking about trusting in Christ versus trusting in ourselves, trusting in our own works, something that the, the Jews would know a lot about because, you know, their religion was a religion of laws and keeping the law and all. And so what Paul is trying to tell them is, no, you know, trust in the Lord. This is, this is the idea. And so as he's talking to them, he concluded with this. He concluded by basically telling him, don't make the mistake that the prophets warned about. I'll put it on the screen for you, but here's what he said. He said, beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. You see, the Jews thought their works could save them, and often we face trial and trouble in our life because we are relying on upon our works rather than relying upon God. There's a, there's a name for this practice. It's called practical atheism. And it's said that many Christians are practical atheists in the sense that we profess a faith in God, but then we try and do everything ourselves. We stress about everything ourselves. It all becomes, you know, what I can do. I, I don't know if you guys saw the video on Facebook. Somebody had posted it this last week. Um, now, I'm told that, that, that you women don't want men to fix your problems, right? That you just, want, you, you just want to talk about it. You want them to hear you, you know, when you're talking about your problems. Now, <laughs> this video basically shows this man and his wife talking, and she's saying, I, I, just, I, I just feel pained. I have, I have this, 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 just this pressure and this pain. And she turns her head and she's got a 16-penny nail sticking out of her forehead. And the whole time she's talking, the guy's just staring at the nail. And finally he interrupts her. He says, if, if you would just pull the nail. And she says, you see, you're always trying to fix me. I don't want you to fix me. I just want you to listen to me. And so the guy with incredible, painful Patient agony, agony as she's talking. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Keep talking. And so she goes, well, so I've got, I just have pain and I'm feeling pressure. And, he, and finally the guy says, that must be really hard for you. <laughs> she says, it is. Thank you so much for listening to me. Right? And, and, and what's the guy going through? The guy's going through, let me just fix it. This is something that we all struggle with in the sense that 
we go through issues. There are huge God-sized problems in our lives. I'm struggling. I'm stressing. And more often than not, I'm like, you know, this chick in the video where it's like, I, I'm just, I, I, I just want to, the guy in the video, I just want to fix it. I just want to engineer this problem. I just want to, you know, take care of this matter myself. Listen, God is the one that we need to turn to when we're facing a God-sized problem because you ain't going to fix God-sized problems on your own. And we have this attitude so often when we're like, you know, I, I just, how many times does it even come out of your mouth? Well, all you can do is pray. Oh, that's all we can do is pray. All we can do is go to the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, who spoke us into existence, <laughs> breathed life into us, That's all we can do. Yeah, that's all we should do, man. That's the first step. Hey, help, God. This thing's bigger than me. But we don't. We we try and engineer things. And all throughout this book, what we see in Daniel, he's a guy who's faithful to pray and he's quick to pray. I want you to notice there in verse 17, we just read it, but Daniel went home and he made the decision known to his friends. You see that? You might even want to circle that. He made the decision known. See, here's what happens. A lot of times we get this half right in our life. A lot of times we have a problem, a God-sized problem, and like Daniel, we go home. We just don't make it known to our friends, right? We we go through these, these problems frequently where we suffer, we struggle, and it's our own private little hell that we go through. And we never bring anybody else in on it. We shut up about it. We clam up about it. Don't talk about it. And and, and oftentimes, frequently, that's just pride. In my pride, I don't want to let others know what I'm struggling with. I don't want to invite others to pray with me about an issue. Oftentimes, I, you know, I find people don't want to let others in on their situation and their circumstance. They want to keep it private because they're embarrassed to let others in. It's a vulnerable place for me to be able to say, yeah, can I just bear my heart open and share the struggle that I'm going through? And so a lot of times, like Daniel, we go home, but unlike Daniel, we don't let anybody in. And again, that's just a subtle form of pride when I'm, when I'm wanting to, you know, not be embarrassed. And, and, and so this issue of, hey, we have to not only pray, but we need to let others in. And let them be praying for us as well. We have here at the church, we take prayer very seriously. We tell you every week, hey, there's a prayer card in your bulletin. Fill it out. Drop it in the box. Let us pray for you. You got an emergency prayer request. You know, text it in. Put it on the prayer link. Get hundreds of people praying for your need right now. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, the Bible says. And so, Notice that Daniel prays. Notice that Daniel made the decision known and implores other people to pray with him. Also notice there in verse 18, their approach to God. Can you see there in verse 18, it says that as they approached God, they, 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 they prayed that they, that they might seek, what's the word? Mercies. Mercies. They didn't go to God based on, hey, God, this is what I deserve. And remember, these are righteous young men who are in a situation really largely not of their engineering, they've been faithful to honor God already through their trials and through their circumstances. And, and it's, it's reasonable that they could have come to God and say, hey, listen, God, we've been faithful to you. We've honored you. And, and, and the king tried to get us to eat of his delicacies, to, to, to change our names and all that. We didn't, we didn't fall to none of that. And now we've got, you know, just... Uh, Problem after problem, and now he's going to kill us. And, and God, we have earned the right to ask you to help us. Now, that seems incredibly foolish to come out of my mouth, just to hear it out loud. But how many times do we really have that attitude when we go to God? I have to tell you, I personally was convicted by this because as I was going through the study, I thought, I remembered a specific instance when I did that, when I went to God and said, God, th- I deserve this. How stupid is that? Because here's the thing. If if you really pray, God, give me what I deserve, can I tell you the last thing that will be on your mind is whatever it was you were praying for. 
What you're, what's going to be now on your mind is how do I not become an, a little ash heap, you know? Because if God gives you what, deser- what you deserve, it's hell and death. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. And so they come to God on the basis of his mercy. God, please be merciful. Lord, please intervene here. Now, I want you to notice as well, and this is super important, that their concern isn't just that they would die. If you look at this as, they, as they're praying through this, man, their concern is, is, is the honor of God. Their, their concern is that they would die in the company of the magicians and the sorcerers and all of these, these worldly wise men and that the world would look on and what they would do is they would lump the true and living God in with all of their false gods and that, that basically the end result would be, yeah, you know, their God is just like all the other gods and he couldn't, he couldn't do it and, and all. And, and so there would be that dishonoring of the name of God. That was their concern. See, we're going to see this carried out in the next chapter. Daniel and his buddies are going to go into the fiery furnace. He, Daniel wasn't afraid of dying for obeying God. No, his, his concern here is that they would die in the company with the magicians and that the glory and the honor of the Lord would be tarnished. See, right now, we as a church, we're praying that the Lord would give to us a church building. And I've asked you guys to pray, and we've been looking, and we continue to look, and we've got some irons in the fire. But my biggest concern in this whole thing isn't that we would get a building. I mean, I desperately want the Lord to provide us uh, a, a building. Um, but, I, but, but what I am more concerned about is that we're in the center of His will. I don't want a building if God doesn't want us to have a building. I'm, 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 I'm grateful for how God's provided. We enjoy a wonderful relationship with, with Linfield here and, and where we're at. And, and we, you know, God's, God's adding daily to the church such as should be saved. I have no issues. God can do whatever with us whatever we want. What I don't want is to engineer something in our own strength that gets us outside of where God's called us to be. Because where, where you strive to attain... You have to strive to maintain. And, 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 you know, if it's God's will, it's God's bill, right? So, okay, cool. I'm in the center of God's will, and he provides for it. But if we get out, out of God's will and do something that's our own, well, then there's no guarantees that God will provide for it. And this thing could auger into the ground, man, and then what's it going to be? It's going to be that the, the outside world, and worse, the unbelieving world looks on and says, eh, look at that. It's interesting, we're going through and we're having discussions and we've got, you know, men within the church that the Lord has raised up who are, who are experienced in this area. And, uh, and one of the guys was sharing with me just this last week that many in uh, the industry who are leasing out buildings, they won't lease to churches. And, and when they do lease to churches, it's a universal sign throughout the real estate community, this guy's in trouble. Look, he's so desperate, he leased out his building to a church. You know Why? Because a lot of churches are deadbeats. They don't pay their bills, and they're, they're bad with, with their financial stewardship. They default on stuff. Guys, it shouldn't be that way. It's, it, it, it's, 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 it's sad that it's that way. And, and, and what I'm submitting to you is that when we live our life more concerned about the glory and the honor of God, than we are about, Lord, give me this thing for this thing's sake. That's a much better way to live our lives. We're going to be in the center of God's will. If we do that, we're going to be yielded to him and surrendered to him. And so we see that Daniel responds to the God-sized problem, first of all, by praying. Secondly, you can write it down. The the second way we see Daniel respond to this God-sized problem is that Daniel praised the Lord. He praised the Lord. Verse 19 we read, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So he, he most likely he had a dream. 
A secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and I praise you, O God of my fathers, you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's demand. Now, David's re, or Daniel's response here uh, is going to figure very prominently at the end of our message and we're going to come back to this. But what I want you to see is that Daniel praised the Lord. And, and real quickly, if you just turn to Luke chapter 17, I want to continue this thought. Uh, so if you just turn there real quick, Luke 17. We're going to go to verse 9. And we read this story in verse, um, I'm sorry, verse 17, we're going to begin in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he, that is Jesus, passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then he entered a, a certain village there. He met 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. This is, this is the, the antithesis of, of practical atheism. Because what they did is they said, Jesus, heal us. And he said, go. And as they went, this is putting feet on your faith. This is uh, more, of, this is more than just an, an academic, I believe. This is an athletic, I believe. And this is what I always talk to you guys about. That we don't just want to come here and hear the, the word and go out these doors unchanged. We want to go out these doors changed. We want to put feet on the things that God shows us. And so what we see here is that these lepers, they believed because they went out and they started to do exactly what he says. And so look what happened. As they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus, verse 17, answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. Verse 19, and he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now give me your attention. Here's what I want to tell you. This is not a story to tell us how Jesus was rudely offended. How rude. I healed you. You didn't even say thanks. That's not the point of the story. All scripture is given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's to instruct us. And so there's a very strategic reason why this story is included in this text. Here it is. The lesson is this. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. That's the lesson. See, it is, it is critically important to us that we be those that live lives of thankfulness. Listen to what the psalmist declared. He said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. If you were with us when we went through the book of Colossians, you will remember we talked about this inextricable link between thankfulness and peace in our lives. They're inextricably linked, thankfulness and peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which, you were also, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Again, Paul said to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it goes on to say that the God of all peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, there is this critical importance for us as we live lives of praise. Here's what it does. You're going through the, the greatest trial, and we're talking about, you know, the reaction to, to God-sized trial. What do you do? How do you, how do you respond to a God-sized trial? Well, not only do you pray, but you praise. And the reason you praise is because the moment you begin praising God, automatically you're going to remember his faithfulness. 
You're going to remember all the times that God has been faithful to you. You say, well, okay, yeah, but, you know, here in Daniel, Pastor Ted, uh, it's easy for Daniel to, to praise God because he gave him the answer that he prayed for. Uh, what about me? I'm in a situation, and I've been praying for the, this answer, and, and, and God, you know, hello, he, has, he doesn't, it's like I'm talking to the ceiling. He hasn't answered my situation. How do I praise him in that situation? You praise him in that situation by faith. You praise him in that situation, remembering all of the other times that you have prayed and that God has answered those prayers. And listen, if he says no to the prayer you're praying, that's an answer. There's there's three possible answers to our prayers. Yes, no, and wait. And I hate the no and I hate the wait. The wait's almost worse than the no, you know? And, and, And yet... God answers us. And so if you praise God, and it, it, I haven't got the answer to this, but Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to thank you. Well, what that does is it strengthens us to go, you know what? I don't yet have the answer for this situation, but I know that God has the answers. And I have experienced those times when God has been faithful to answer my prayers. And so I know he's faithful. And, and we see that modeled in, in King David's life. He's facing Goliath, this nine-foot-tall giant, and everybody's telling him, you're dead, you're toast. And what's he say? He says, when I was tending my father's sheep and the lion or the bear came and attacked, I fought and I overcame them, and, and this, this Philistine is going to be just like them. He was strengthened by his past wilderness experiences. He was able to praise the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this one, but you got me out of that one. And you got me out of that other one, a lion and a bear. Come on. I trust you, Lord. See, so the issue for us is when we go through these situations, not only do we need to pray to God, but we need to praise God because we will be, we're going to be strengthened in that. This is how, how Daniel responds to these, this God-sized problem. Thirdly, write it down. Daniel not only responds by praying, he responds not only by praising, but thirdly, Daniel pointed to God. Look at verse 24 back in Daniel chapter 2. And we read, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch. He's just, God's given him the answer. He's praised God. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And then Arioch, verse 25, you got to love this, quickly brought Daniel before the king and, and said thus to him, I've found the man, O king, look, look at me, Arioch, I've found the source of your problem. I've found the man. I got, I got the answer right here. It's just all, hey, you know, how's my Christmas bonus going to look this year, king? Because I found the man. You know, which, by the way, you can look at it another different way. He, he's, he doesn't, like if I was in that situation and I knew the king was killing people for not being able to tell him, I don't know if I would go and say, hey, I found the man. I think I might say, hey, this guy thinks he can do it. I don't know. But uh, do you want me, because I, I want, you know, I want to have a disclaimer out there in case he, in case he bombs, you know. And, uh, and, and so I got, well, I, I told you I didn't think he could do it. But so, you know. And, but anyway, Arioch, he, he knows Daniel well enough. It's a, it's a testament to Daniel's character. But Arioch quickly brought Daniel. I found the man uh, of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Now, Daniel pointed to the Lord. Right? Daniel's response in this is completely different. Now, Arioch, he takes the credit. And, and just as an aside, it's funny how the world reviles Christians, hates Christians. But, you know, if you read through 2 Thessalonians, what you see there is that it tells us that right now, the world in which we live in, that because of the Spirit's influence in his church, the Holy Spirit's work in the world through his church, that at one time, it, that, that that's going to be removed. God's going to take his church out. He's going to rapture his church out. And when he does, literally, Second Thessalonians goes on to talk about how all hell is going to be unleashed on earth. And right now, Christians are active in the world, and there's, there's actually an incredible benefit that the world gets from Christians. I mean, just taking as an example, sometimes when we try and get a building, and, and the city doesn't want a building in a particular place because we're a nonprofit, and they don't get tax dollars from it, and it never crosses their mind all of the social and societal benefits of having 
followers of Christ who are exhorted to go love their neighbor as their self and to go be law-abiding and tax-paying and, and all of the, the benefits that come from, from those Christians that are followers of Christ. City never shows up in the factoring of whether this is a good thing or, or not. All they see is, well, they don't pay taxes on the building, so it's not a good thing. We want to restrict that use. See, and this is, this is uh, you know, anyway, there's a benefit to that. But, but in contrast to the way Arioch responds, I want you to notice Daniel behaves completely differently. Again, verse 26, the king answered, and he said to Daniel, Arioch comes, hey, I found a man, here he is. And, Dan, and the king answers, and he says to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king, and he said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Now, he basically just tells him everything that got all the other guys starting to get killed. He gives them the same answer. You know what, king? What's your answer, what you're asking for? There's no man on earth that can do that. But, verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And he goes on to, to talk about that. Billy Graham said there's three things that we should never touch. He says you never touch God's money. You never touch God's women. And thirdly, he said, you never touch God's glory. Never touch it. God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Listen, the shortest path to having God take his hand off you is for you to take the credit. That's the shortest path, is for you to start taking the the, the credit. Again, the psalmist said this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Listen, if you take the credit, God will let you take it all, including the work. If you say, you know what, yep, this is me, myself, and I, and it's all, you know, Daniel. You know, he could very easily and say, yep, I give dreams and interpretations. And, you know, mostly I specialize in world rulers and all. Well, that puts him now in a position where now he's got to maintain that. And God's basically going to say, hey, you want to take the credit for that? Fine. You're on your own from here on out. Go ahead. So for us, I mean, there's this incredible importance for us to point to God, to be able to say, look, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just God. You know, I will have from time to time, you know, the Lord will say something to somebody through the course of a message on Sunday, and, and I'll have people that will come up to me and say, well, that was a really good message. And, and you know, that's kind of an awkward thing, you know, to handle. And what I've learned to do is just simply say, you know what, that I'm very encouraged by that. And that's intru- that, that is true. You know, gosh, thank you so much for encouraging me. And then I, I, and, and I'll say, praise the Lord. You know, and because it's true. Okay, you've just encouraged me, but you know what, it's the Lord who's doing the work. If, if there's anything that comes out in a message that has blessed you, it's the Holy Spirit of God anointing the instruction of his word. And if there's anything that comes out of you in, that's a benefit to others, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit of God has enabled you and worked through you and, and, and blessed you in such a way. All right, here's the deal. The fourth point is Daniel declared the purpose of God. And... Uh, as I glance at the clock, I don't think we're going to be able to do it. Well, I tried to, I, I motored through first service, but that's when I didn't really have a clock to look at, and uh, yeah, we're kind of in a tricky place here. I can either cut it off here, or I could go quickly through the purpose of God. So, um, go? All right, all right. Here, here's what let's do. I'm just going to go real quickly, and uh, we'll see, we, we, we uh, okay. <laughs> Write it down. It's on tape. Everybody said go. All right. Daniel declared the purpose of God. Okay. He's in a tough situation. He's got a God-sized problem. And so he praised, he praised, 
He pointed to God. And fourthly, Daniel declared God's purposes. And here's what, I'm just going to give you the application up front, okay? We have to be able to point to God's purposes in the things that we go through. And when you go through a trial, you, you have to be looking for, God, show me your purpose through this trial so that I can point to you because you're the one who's engineered all this stuff. See, what's going to happen, he's going to give the the, the king his dream and the interpretation of his dream. And what we have to keep in mind is that God is the one who let the king have the dream in the first place. God's the one who who caused this to happen in the king's life because he's got a work that he wants to do in the king's life. And guess what? He strategically placed Daniel there to be able to get it. And so we have to be able to, 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 to declare God's purpose in the event, okay? And so, so here's what we read, verse 28. <clears throat> Fire host time. Uh, so he says, there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. What he's going to do is he's going to define the king's vision, the king's dream, and it has a pertinence to the days in which we live. We live in, in, in the latter days, okay? And so keep that in mind. He says, your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. Verse 29, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. After you die, what comes after you? And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king. In other words, we're about... Our sakes, not just Daniel and his buddies, you and me, our sake. These things, he's going to speak prophetically about events that that will come to pass yet in the future. Now, we, from the benefit of of a couple thousand years in the future, we get to look back and we we get to say, oh, he nailed four of them. He talked about five. He nailed four. The fifth one we're going to see has yet to come and hasn't come yet in our life. But here's a guy who's got a really good track record, and this is for us to know what's coming in the latter days. So he says, uh, you, as you were, uh, sorry, verse 31, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. So in your mind's eye, just think of that life-size model of the Oscar that you see when you watch the Academy Awards. Okay, just keep that in your mind as we go through this. Verse 32. This image's head was one of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. He said, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. By the way, we will tell the interpretation of it. Remember going back to this idea of prayer and bringing other people into you? I got a situation. Will you help me? Will you pray with me about it? This is now the, the answer comes and you, you get to celebrate. Hey, listen, this is what God has done as a result of our prayers. When God provides us a building, we're gonna go, yes, we prayed and li- here, here's what God has done. And so just very subtle, but very important. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, uh, power, strength, and glory. Now, he doesn't say you are the king of kings. That's a title reserved exclusively for Jesus Christ. He says you are a king of kings in that he is a world ruler, and, uh, and being a world ruler, he, he presides over kings and kingdoms. Every king and kingdom of the earth is subject to him at this point in time. He says in verse 38, and whatever the children of men, wherever the children of men dwell or beasts of the field uh, land, the birds of heaven, uh, he has given them into your hand. He has given into your hand. All po- our power and authority comes from God, Romans 13 tells us. He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you, now this is, he didn't want to hear this, but there's going to be an after you. 
And he says, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And, and so that he's referring to, you know, the image was the, the chest of, and arms of silver. He's referring, again, we know from history that the kingdom that rose up after the Babylonian kingdom was the Medo-Persian Empire. It was inferior to King, Babylon, or, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon because he was, he, he was the rule and law. What he said goes. There was no higher authority than him. But the Medes and the Persians, they, they had more checks and balances. And so the king of the Medes and Persians didn't, didn't have these two kingdoms come together and, and they had less power. That's why it's a lesser metal. It's silver. He says... Um, so after you will rise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, he's speaking of a third kingdom, a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. Now we know again from the, from the rearview mirror of history that this is the Grecian Empire. They were actually symbolized by bronze and, and bronze shields and all. And he says, and that's what he, the vision is, that they're bronze, um, th- uh, a belly and thighs of bronze. And he says, uh, this third kingdom will come up after you. By the way, just real quick, let me just say this. He wrote all of this in advance. We have documented proof. There are, there are documents that have been found in the Qumran caves that support the dating of the writing of this. He, he prophesied all of this before it ever happened. This is an authenticating, like, fingerprint of God that his word is true, and that God lives outside of time, knows the end from the beginning. This is a compelling proof of the existence of God. And so he says uh, now in verse 40, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and will crush all the others. And this is very rightly predicting, again, in the rearview mirror of history, Rome, kingdom of iron. Rome operated with a very simplistic operating philosophy. It was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And basically it was mess with us and you're dead. That was Rome, the Pax Romana. Don't mess with us, we're cool. You mess with us, you're dead. I, I kind of dig that, uh, you know. You know, kind of neat, neat way to rule your country. Hey, just let's be cool. You mess with us though, you're done. So anyway... <laughs> Thank God I'm not king. All right, verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, now he's moving on to this fifth kingdom that hasn't come to, to, on the scene yet. Whereas you saw the fifth, uh, or I'm sorry, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, and as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. This is the fifth kingdom which has not yet come to power. Okay, we haven't had a world-dominating empire since the fall of the Roman Empire. Okay, and what this shows us is that this next world-dominating government is going to consist of elements of Rome because it has iron, but it also is mixed with clay. So you're going to have a confederation of nations that come together, some strong, some weak. This is what Daniel is prophesying. He says it's for the latter days. Four of these kingdoms have come and gone in history, so this is significant for us because it's telling us what's going to come at the end of the world when Antichrist comes. This is the vision for that. He says in verse 43, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, speaking of that fifth kingdom, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms and it shall stand forever inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. 
The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, when Daniel said that and he got the interpretation of that and he talks about this stone cut out of the mountain without hands, this is a reference to the Messiah. He would have understood it. It's uh, written in Psalm 118. That's where it talks about how the stone that the builders rejected has become, uh, has become the chief cornerstone. This predates Daniel. He would have known that. He would have recognized that. He's basically saying there's five kingdoms, The fifth one's going to come, it's going to be mixed with all these other ones, and the Lord himself is going to crush it. He's speaking about the end days. Here's here's what I want you to hear as we close. He says in verse 46, well, we read in verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. And then, Daniel, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Daniel declared the purpose of God and here's what I want you to hear as we close God is sovereign over the affairs of man he's sovereign he rules and he overrules John says this in the book of Revelation the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and the day is coming when man's self-government is going to end And, and this is the closing application I'll say it, we'll pray, we'll do communion, and we're done. As we live in this world, as Daniels, we are far from home. We, we live in a world that is not our home, just as Daniel did. We need to understand that God places his servants where he wills and that he has a sovereign purpose for it. And our job is to discover what his purpose is and to point those that we have influence over to the purposes of God in the events that transpire. And we need to understand that God has sovereignly placed us here for his use. And, and in understanding that, understand that the vision was given for the sake of Daniel, Daniel and we who would follow. See, because Nebuchadnezzar, he's not happy about what the vision is. He's just happy that Daniel knew the vision, that Daniel could tell him what the vision was. That was enough for him. But I want you to hear what Daniel was happy about. Daniel understood that God was saying, in effect, I'm going to spell out my plan for all of humanity to the most powerful ruler the world has ever known, and he's not going to get it. But you're going to get it, Daniel. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Do you get it today? He's sovereign. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, God is sovereign.